Bar Mitzvah. Bar meaning son of, Mitzvah meaning the command. If you've heard the word translated as son of the law, that's not right. And it's not translated right. It doesn't carry the right connotation. Uh, it's the son giving commands. I got invited to a Bar Mitzvah this week, but I'm doing a wedding somewhere else. I can't go and... Ike is threatening to rain on both parades. Uh, but the bar mitzvah is what I have in mind. So I want to read you something, and then uh, we're going to look through the scriptures together. So are you in Proverbs 2? Yes. My son. By the way, we don't know for sure, but this seems as if this is like David speaking to Solomon. And when you pair it up with uh, 1 Kings 3, 9, it's exactly what Solomon prayed for. Are we cutting in and out? No? Good. Uh, it's exactly what Solomon, we are cutting in and out. Thanks for a pretty nasty tape when you don't get this right. At our old church, the same man had to come do this to the pastor every week. I'm with that. Wow. Maybe that's better? We think maybe? Yeah, a rough start. Uh, I'm one of those gnarly little things like Bobby Brown sing with. It'll be my prerogative. All right, so y'all ready for uh, y'all ready for Proverbs too? I feel slightly off my game, but God's word's still good. You ready, my son? If you accept my words and store up my hands within you, not only accept His words but store the mitzvahs. That word for commands is mitzvah within you turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. Understand here in this scripture we have both accepting, storing, applying your heart to understanding. And if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Do you remember way back in the garden? What our very first problem was, we wanted to be like God. We wanted to know good from evil. We wanted to take that which looked good to us. We wanted all of those things. Ironically enough, in the commands of God, we have an opportunity to be God. We need to accept His Word. We need to store it within our hearts. We need to apply it. We need to call out and ask for it. And in it, if we seek it as you would silver or gold, You find something more precious. You find the very knowledge that leads you to be like God. That is an awesome thing. For a Jew, this is a lifelong pursuit. It starts from the time your mother and father are singing prayers to you when you're born. I I read a post by Lisa this week that uh, she's been reading to Caden. And then Jennifer Hall stepped in and talked about singing to her children. And now at night, Jennifer Holt's children ask their parents, please sing to me. And they're singing godly things. This from the very beginning is teaching children to yearn for the knowledge of God. And an amazing thing that they commented on in their post, both of them, is they were surprised that their children were so drawn to it. God hardwired us to be drawn to it. He put a big gaping hole that only that fills. He put the eternity, a craving for eternity in the hearts of men. Well, from the beginning of a Jew's life on forward, their parents were investing in them. 
and investing in them and investing in them. But at some point, that investment is supposed to pay off. At some point, if I teach CJ every day of his life, at some point, he becomes responsible for what he learned. That is the beginning of maturity. If you were an American male, that happens somewhere around, I don't know, 35 or 40. Not supposed to. A few generations back, my grandfather left home at 13, built his first house with his own two hands at 15, and married a 15-year-old girl and raised a family. That seems strange now, doesn't it? It's pretty bizarre to us, but biblical times are not that much different. What a Jew would do is raise his child from the very beginning, rubbing honey on their gums, teaching them about the Word of God, yearning for it, craving for it, and somewhere around the age of puberty. It's always debated whether it was 12 or 13. Sorry if you're a late bloomer. But 12 or 13, and they had a this was a day in which in front of your whole village, you know why they debate 12 or 13? Since this is probably not going to make it on the internet anyway. Because girls matured faster than boys later. Than doing girls. 12 or 13, you know, around the time life takes place. Or 16 or 17. <laughs> 12 or 13. So, what happens then with your kids? is in front of your whole village. You invite people from the four corners of the earth, you know, as far away as... And they stand, and they listen to a young man recite the words of God. And interestingly enough, it's not just recited in Hebrew, the original language, it's recited according to a melody. I don't know how I could have done this if I was Jewish, since I'm tone deaf. But apparently, if you had heard it all your life, even the most tone-deaf child could eventually get this. So you sang the words of God. It's something pleasing to you, and not just one or two passages, quite a few. It was so long that the commentator that I'm reading says, this passage is too lengthy to be cited here. (laughs) And it was already a lengthy article. When this was done, when the young man had proven, I can read the word for myself. And he had shown some level of understanding by going through the Jewish liturgy so that they knew that he knew what was expected of him. His father said, Thank God that I am now released, for he can read your word for him. Different is that than the way that we raise our children. At what age do most parents think that children should act like adults? 18, 21, some say that, and yet it seems to stretch much further than that, right? Why are you picking on him? He's only 32. He can't possibly be expected to know how to hang a curtain. He's only 40. In the Jewish society, you begin transferring your way of life everything that was expected of a normal adult male to your children in increments between 13 and 30. At 13, it was the time to start. You were considered mature, the age of accountability, some people would call this. And by 30, you should have mastered it. You should have mastered it in the way that your father before you had. And from 30 was a chance to show real wisdom. It's interesting. When you look through the Hebrew Scriptures, Yet, it's one of the oldest customs in all of the 
the world. I know, Darren, I don't know what to say about that. It's one of the older customs in all of the Old Testament, and yet it's not mentioned in the 39 books of the Tanakh. Does that surprise you? How often have you written about having to turn on a light switch when you walked in a room? You may say, I walked in the room and turned on the lights, but did you ever have to say, I walked in the room, placed my fingers upon a lever, and upon throwing that lever from one position to another, it triggered an electrical current to go to a a filament and light the room? No, because that's pretty obvious, isn't it? This was such a part of their society, it didn't need to be commented on in, in the books of the prophets. Everybody there had done it. If you were beyond the age 13 and you were not... This is where the idea of confirmation comes from, by the way. It's corrupted. Not a son of Israel at this point. You were a reprobate. You were outside Israel. This one will not take responsibility for his life and he will not make it. Can you imagine if that had been done to American teenagers? You know where the first real reference that we find to a Barnabas is in all of the word? Jewish scholars have uh, gnawed their hands off at this one. In the Jewish king, Yeshua. Turn with me to Luke 2. You remember the subject we were talking about earlier? As soon as we get caught up with what uh, our church budget is normally, we're going to buy a uh, headpiece. I could go ask Ed Young if I could borrow one of his, but... Lord, now we really can't put this online, huh? All right, in Luke 2, I'm out of my mind today. In Luke 2, 41, verse 41, we start a topic. It says, every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the Feast of Passover. Why on earth would they do something like that? Galilee's a long ways from Why would you walk 120 miles every year? Because they're Jews. It was incumbent upon them from the eighteen to take this responsibility on themselves. Do you know what this means? This means that if you're 14 years old and your parents say, it's raining, I'm too tired to go. At 14, God holds you personally responsible if you don't go. How many of you have thought about your teenagers in that way? Mm. How about that? Before that, it's your parents' responsibility, and Jesus' parents have this responsibility. Every year, his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. These next few verses, you've probably heard this commented on. Probably heard it commented on in somewhat of a humorous fashion, like, oh dear God, we lost God's child, right? Like, you thought you were a bad parent, you lost your kid in Walmart sometime. Mary and Joseph didn't realize that Jesus was not with God. That God's Son was not with them for three days. And yet, that's not how this is at all. It's really not. That is very much true. But it's because he was not thought of as an infant or a toddler or somebody to uh, have to hold by the hand to walk out of town. 
He was starting to be given responsibilities because he is 12 years old and he has become a son of the commandments. Now, what is interesting is the very first time in Scripture that something like this occurs, Jesus taking on the responsibility to be a son of his father's commandments puts him at odds with his parents who have their own set of commandments. The will of the parents was that they leave Jerusalem three days earlier than the will of God for Jesus. But at this point in his life, Jesus has a responsibility to be about his father's business. Listen to what happens. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Does anybody here for a moment think that Jesus was a typical teenager in that he was sinful and uh, was sarcastic with his parents? No, not at all. Listen to his answer and take it for face value. Why were you searching for me? He asked, did you not know I had to be in my father's house? He seems genuinely surprised that they're undone with him, doesn't he? Why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be here? This is my time where I have become responsible for following God's will in my life. And they were surprised. But you're going to read, his mother treasured these things in her heart. She starts to get it. She starts to understand her destiny for him is different than God's destiny for him. That's really easy to see when we keep it on this kind of level, when we're talking about children. But I would venture to say something to you before we go on to read more about Jesus. From the moment you were born again, you were supposed to be being transitioned from infants to something more mature. You were supposed to be being transitioned from somebody with no real responsibilities except to be saved and confess it with your mouth to someone who is taking on an increasing number of responsibilities in the kingdom till finally you reach a place that Paul says is mature. And we'll look at what the definitions of mature are, but we shouldn't have to hold a bar mitzvah for spiritual believers on their 13th spiritual birthday. It should occur much sooner because the Spirit of the Almighty God is in us. One of the problems is we expect people like adolescents and as old as we are and they never catch us. We all think they should be adolescents. And that carries right on into the kingdom. Well, that brother's only been saved 15 years. Don't expect too much of him. And then it's always an embarrassing situation when somebody's been saved 10 months and is outshining the 20-year Christian sitting on their left and right. And it happens time and time and time again. Do you know how I know? Because they resented me for it when I did it. They said, that young man would witness to a telephone pole. You can't compare our kids to him. I said, I'm sorry. I don't think they were comparing me to your children. I think they were comparing me to you. Silence in the room. Silence. When we get hold of the gospel, it is supposed to be like leaven. And that leaven working through us means that we're understanding more and more of His commands all of the time. Taking them on by applying them. Remember? Accepting, storing, applying, and asking for more like it was silver. This needs to be our attitude. Accepting, storing, applying, and asking for more like it were silver. This is wisdom and it's how we become like God. 
Turn with me to Hebrews. You'll see a very unusual scripture here. So unusual, most commentators completely skip it. Isn't that a brave thing to do? Comment on every verse in the Bible, but leave out the hard one? I have to find the book of Hebrews. I'm sorry, brother. Five. See, that gives me a chance to catch you because you're very fast. Hebrews 5, verse 7. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, He offered up prayers and petitions. What's the difference between a prayer and a petition? Anybody know? No. Petitions can be written down, but that's not it. A prayer is a conversation. A petition is your most heartfelt, urgent request. It's not redundant. He talked with God on a regular basis. He brought his most urgent, heartfelt request before God. And with loud cries. Why loud? Did he think God didn't hear him when he whispered? Apparently, he was not so stoic that he didn't show emotion. He embraced God through conversation. He embraced God through his most urgent, heartfelt request. He embraced God with volume. He embraced God with tears. It says, through prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. How does the Son of God learn obedience? It's an interesting concept, isn't it? You would think you either are or are not obedient. The previous passage, I didn't read the end of it. It said that Jesus became obedient to them from that moment. When presented with the conflict of, do I do my Father's will or should I be meandering off to Galilee? He did His Father's will. When He realized that the authority placed over Him by God wanted Him to do something else, He became obedient to them. But it was something that He had to learn. He was surprised that they asked. Are you ever surprised at what's required of you in the kingdom? I often am. But once you learn what is required of you, that becomes your chance to be obedient. And sometimes suffering is involved. I told Matthew today, I never hesitate to give away my last dollar until after it's gone. You know, I've never been somebody that sought out money. I did never want it. I never really craved it, never tried to amass it. But the lack of it tends to be a problem sometimes. Yeah, how about that? Look at this in Hebrews. I want you to get this relationship between learning obedience and maturity. It will be, uh, I guess, around the 14th verse, 5.14. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. How much fun is training? My kids are in football. They love the games. The practice is not so much. How much fun is it to be trained in anything? When it says he learned obedience from he suffered, it's that constant struggle and tearing between what you would like to do and what God requires of you now that you're a son of His commandment that teaches us what obedience is. And it has to be through constant use of something. What did it say? By, but solid food is for the mature who by constant use 
have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. What is it in your life that trains you to do that? It's that thing that you're supposed to accept, that you're supposed to store, that you're supposed to apply and then ask for more, just like it was silver. Constant use of the Word of God in every scenario teaches what it is to be obedient. And by the way, if you didn't catch it, the first scripture that I read you in Hebrews said He's a source of salvation for all who obey Him. That's another way to say who are obedient to Him. One of the most devastating things that's happened to the American church, and I presume around the world, but I've only lived here, is the idea that you do not need to be obedient, you simply need to believe. This is not found in Scripture. Even the Great Commission says, go forth teaching them to obey and making disciples of all nations. The first chapter of Romans says that He's called the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. Obedience is something that has to be learned through the constant struggling of the world. This means you're over the age of 13. Your responsibility now, what God holds you personally responsible for, is becoming mature. And to become mature, what you must do is learn to apply the Word of God to every situation in your life. And when it becomes clear that you have negated the Word of God for something else, then you repent and you fix it. To continue going on day after day is to not learn and to not become mature. I want you to turn to me eight. How many times do you think in our messages we cover the principle of uh, deed over creed? I mean, that, that's, that's become like a broken record now, right? Some of you are probably sick of hearing it. Uh, how many times do you think that we say things like, quit telling me what you believe and how much you know and get out and love somebody. Open up your home and let somebody in. All of those kind of things. We do it almost every week. How accountable do you think you're going to be if you stand before the King of Kings having heard that every week and you don't do it? Why would God have a church that teaches that, that that is the central axiom of our message if He didn't want you to do it? How long does it take before somebody who is immature in an area is expected to become mature? Let me ask you something. Raise your hand if you're a parent in here. Put your hands down. Raise your hand if you had parents. Okay, so we've covered point. Your father shows you something. And I'm picking a father for a reason. He shows you something once. Does he expect you to know it yet? Maybe, maybe not. Depends on his temperament. Twice. Three times. By the time we get to seven or eight times, there could even be punishment involved, could there not? Father is an authority figure, and he handles it godly. But fathers tend to expect more because they hold more authority and they are using it, not justifying it. What I'm trying to tell you is when we call God our Father, in some ways it's not fair to relate to your Father. In other ways, it is. That title is chosen for a reason. <laughs> Paul actually says, don't think that God can be mocked. Do you know what it would be to mock God? It would be to have Him show you something once and twice and three times and seven or eight times 
and act like he doesn't care whether or not you do it. As saints, we have to press maturity. Maturity, simply put, is being fully assured of what God's will is and doing it. You know, in Luke 8? Luke 8, look at the 14th verse. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear. As they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they mature. What is it that keeps us from applying God's Word in our life? Well, it depends on what He's told you to do. But many times, it's what you won't have if you do what God tells you to do. So there's a whole litany of Scriptures that are being abused at this point that say if you'll just trust God, He will do for you more than you could have imagined. Which is absolutely true. Except the motive's wrong. Should we do something for God because He will meet our needs? Or should we do it because He's God? What's the seed do? But the seed stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the Word, accept it, retain it, store it, and by persevering, that's applying it, produce a crop. You can't be deceived. You can't sit week after week and God prick your heart until you just become come to it always about somebody else. We can't do that. We can't. That forces us to stay immature. What God's calling this church to? Maturity. He's calling all the body of Christ to maturity. How long could we sit and blame the people that came before us? Anybody in here have bad parents? Don't raise your hands. Don't do it, but some of you do. I know them. Yeah. What were their parents like? Or theirs before them? At what point do we stand up and take responsibility for our own lives and say, today, I'm a son of the Word of God. And whether anybody around me does what it says to do or not, I will. And I'll pursue it like it were silver. To the extent you do that, no matter what happens to the people on your left and right, you'll succeed in everything that you do. You'll be like a a tree planted by streams of cool water that bears fruit in season and out. I get it. Sometimes the circumstances seem hard. Don't you let life's worry choke you. Do you honestly think for the other people sitting around you, it's not hard to apply the Word of God? So what should we do? Should we make a covenant that since it's hard for Jennifer, and it's hard for Nick, it's hard for Mandy, and it's hard for Eric, none of us are going to do it? We'll segment the Word of God and say this is the only part of it we're interested in applying? Are we going to embrace the full message and never stop preaching it and never stop doing it? See, that would be in this matter. Go ahead then and turn to James 1. Two of you are there. The rest of you gave up on me? This is verse... uh, Let's start in two. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance 
must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If you only get maturity by applying God's Word and it being something hard to do, you suffer in obedience by applying God's Word. If you only get maturity by doing that, then what happens ultimately if you don't is you lack things you need. James just defined maturity as being complete and not lacking anything. This is a paradox because what happens to many of us is we get into situations where we say, if we apply God's Word in this situation, then I won't have. And the Word teaches just the opposite. It says, if you apply God's Word in this situation, and you will lack nothing. And maturity is learning the difference to distinguish between that which is good and that which is evil. You know what's evil in that scenario? Doing what you want instead of what God wants you to do. I'll tell you a secret. Now I'm not just talking about money. You become divine purpose and will for your life. And you're living in it in a guilt-free way. You don't need condemnation. You don't need conviction in your life. You're made to be free. And when you know you're doing what God told you to and the Word affirms it, you are a complete person. There's a stage that all children go through. I'm watching some in my own household go through this right now. Where you're a happy, lucky kid. Everything's great. You love everybody. You love everyone around you. Everybody thinks everything's wonderful. And then somewhere right around the sixth grade, go figure, somewhere just before 12 and 13, they develop massive insecurity. It's the first time in their life real expectations are being placed upon them. No longer is it acceptable for mommy to walk you into class. No longer is it acceptable for you not to know how to open your locker. Or get to and from school. Real expectations that are like an adult's are placed there. And so you know what kids do? They start to second guess what they're wearing. Who they're sitting next to. What they said. They start to become self-conscious. But somewhere between 12 and 13 years old, on up to around 18, you find out in that process who you are. And then you should no longer be insecure if everybody around you is wearing cowboy hats. You already know who you are. That's the normal process of maturing. Apply that to the kingdom. Of course you should be insecure about doing what God tells you to do in the beginning. It's the first time being expected of you without help, without training wheels. You have to step out and do it, of course. You should feel insecure about it. But you learn through that process what it is to become obedient, what it is to become mature. And somewhere on the other side of it, it should no longer be like a leaf blown in the wind or like a windshield wiper tossed back and forth like waves of the sea. We should be able to say, no, I've been in these situations before and I know what God's Word says and I will not be moved. When you can say that about your life, you can go ahead and call yourself mature. Do you have the idea that there's no such thing as a mature Christian the way that this definition You be careful because Paul says all who are mature should take such a view. And I'm speaking a message to those who are mature. He calls Christians that he knows mature. This is not a goal. 
It simply means that you've made up your mind to apply the Word in any situation and you will not be moved. Before you walked in, I'm sure that you would have said that that's true. But when you shine the light of God's Word in the crevices of your life, I'm asking you, is it true? See, in my life, I've still got maturing left to go. I suspect in some of yours, I know darn good some of you do, because that's why we have this message. But I'm going to make up my mind not to be moved. I want you to see what else maturity is. Look at Ephesians 4. Armor truck turns over out here in the lot. Money flies everywhere. The immature Christian says, look, a blessing from God. I needed that. What does God's Word say about that? Is it, is it stealing or not? How hard do you have to think about that? And yet I can guarantee you, if it happened on this street, with all of these churches out here, there would be not a few, a majority of people that if nobody was watching or scrutinizing, have a problem picking it's sure. such a misapplication of so much more subtle is it mature to meet your needs before showing you to meet I think this every time I get a bonus from work every time Mandy and I get them at the same time because we work, actually we own the business. It's a burden. It really is for her than me. Burden. Oh, Lord, what do I do with this? In fact, I have to teach her that sometimes it would be But that's not normal. The norm. It is normal Christianity. It's If you find a hundred thought this should thought Chris, if we become selfless, we will attain to the full measure of who Christ is. And when you do that, everything he has available to him you have available to you. Look at Ephesians four, start with me in the thirteenth verse. Ah, back up to the eleventh. It was He who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service. I want you to know no matter which thing you think that I am, there was a glory for village. But whatever it is you believe that I am, my job is to prepare you for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. If you receive the Word of God, or rather accept it, if you store it, if you apply it and then ask for more as if it were silver, and then through suffering you learn how to apply it in obedience, you become a little more like Jesus every single day. And, excuse me, is a place where we have obtained what is called the full measure of Christ. So, well, how could you have the full measure of Christ? 
The full measure of Christ for David's life is when David is doing and living and operating in everything that Jesus intends for him to. How many of you feel like you're in that position now? I want you to. It's obtainable in this life. But as long as you have to back up to walk into the church, or when certain subjects come up, have to drop your eyes, you can't walk in what maturity. Since you realize you're supposed to be able to sit in the church, cover any subject in the Word, and never be ashamed. Never be ashamed. The only reason that we could ever be ashamed is if we know what it says and do not do what it says. What would be the cure for that? Doing what it says. That's why we preach about it every week. Every week. Does it have to be a personal meeting? you really need the attention of your pastor to get something right? Or do you just need to know what God wants of you? See, I'm believing that if He drew you here as precious metals, He drew you here so that you could be formed and shaped and used for a service and that that is your destiny. I don't think that there's a person here who is destined to be a loser in the kingdom. Corinthians 2.6, he says, I do speak a message among the mature. But he's almost frustrated when he says it. It's like, if you guys were more mature than you are, I could tell you what I'd like to tell you. But since you haven't learned to apply what I've already told you, we're going to have to go back through this again. He does the same thing in Hebrews. In Hebrews, he says, I don't want to lay the elementary teachings down again. I'd rather move on to maturity, not saying, and then he has to go teach it again. Apparently, this has been a problem always because when we learn what grace is, we use it as a what he says. Do y'all want to be in that category? Man, I don't. I really don't. I am the kid on the team that wants to work twice as hard just to please the coach. I know what it is to not be blessed with a great deal of talent. There are very few things that I do well. Some people can do lots of things well. There's not much you can do about that. I want to be honest. If you don't sing well, you might can improve it, but you either have a God-given gift or you don't. You might be able to improve it, but you're probably not going to be an Olympic gymnast. In life, we have lots of things that can be limitations for us. But in the kingdom, all He wants is your effort, your sincere effort, and He will credit you with everything far beyond your expectations. What I'm trying to say is what you don't have in talent, you can make up for in effort. If I'm not proof of anything else, I assure you I'm proof of that. Since we're way off the topic here before we close, I want you to understand You look at me, I am 400 miles away from the place that I was raised in. My pastor did not go to seminary. My pastor did not go to college. My pastor was wearing flip-flops and was a welder the day that I met him. But I put more effort into what he knew than anybody around me, so I absorbed it. And some of you were there. You had the same opportunity that I did. But I worked harder. I didn't have what the people around me have. The people who got ordained with me could do a lot of things that I cannot do. But I worked harder 
than they did in the kingdom because it's the one thing that I did have the ability to do. So here I am in another state without the approval of some denomination or some group, without even the approval previous to the last few months of the church that raised me. But you know why it works? Because I am that serious about doing what God said and applying His Word in any situation to the point that if we have ten people and it will make eight of them leave to tell the truth, I will gladly run off all eight. Some of you have been here long enough to watch me throw people out of the church. I'm asking you to spend some time this week. I I don't want to hear any more theology. I really don't. I want you to spend some time on your face saying, Lord, what area can I mature in? Is it really right that the whole church should wait for me for 20 minutes before I get there because I'm just too lazy to get there on time? Is it really right that I should forget this responsibility that I have? Is it really right that I don't share the financial part of my life with this church? Is it really right that those people invite me over and I eat at their house all of the time, but I have never invited another person in the church into my home? Is that really right? Spend some time. See if we can't mature in areas that previously we've been immature in. Somebody asked me this week about one of you. What are you going to do with so-and-so? No idea. After 15 years, I've said everything that can be said. They're either going to love God and do it or they're not. You know, that's a frustrating place. What should I not be able to teach you in two years, much less 15? And some of you shine like stars. Most of you shine like stars. But is there not an area in your life you need to mature in? Let's be honest. CJ, you think you got an area of your life you need to mature in? How about you, Brandon? They shake their heads quickly. How about you, Jeremiah? See, I know this, and I'm committed to doing it, not just talking about it. So that I ask you all all of the time and open my house and my life about the areas I need to grow in. Unfortunately, I'm already aware of them. I'm trying. I'm going to quit coarse joking. I'm going to quit preaching about six subjects at one time. I'm going to be nicer to my wife. She tells me that all of the time. Be more patient with my children. You know, a 17-year-old man spent two hours telling me to my kid the other day. Patricia finds that I want you to understand something. I loved it. I loved it. And the reason that I if somebody felt free enough to come tell their pastor an area he needed to mature in, I hugged him and said, bless you for that. pastor also gave them some areas they could mature in. But I promise you, for that. This thing's coming up. The mature who make it. If you can, where I'm standing, some of you mature further in the last year than anybody thought you could in 10 years. I've seen other of you spend 10 years not maturing as much as you should have in one. And the only difference is effort because God's not a respecter of talent. You ask me whether that should be that way or not. See, it shouldn't. 
Everybody's always interested in their special circumstances. There are no special circumstances. We suffer, we apply it, apply it, and then we're obedient and mature. No special circumstances. Who will answer the call to become more mature? Abe said he would. Who else? And your feet. <laughs>